Hi, this is Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio-quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio-quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and this is a bonus review of the movie Nope. This was asked for by tens of you, maybe even 15 to 20 of you, uh, and we're finally getting to sit down and do it, having both seen the film and both had time to do it, the both being uh, Dan, of course. Dan, welcome back. Hey, hey, good to be here. Good to finally kind of get to this. The, in America, this was released at a different time, so we kind of had to stagger things a little bit, right? It was. You took the words out of my mouth. We uh, were hoping to see this in July, weren't we? And it got delayed till just uh, mid-August, I think that was about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the synopsis of the movie Nope um, is that Nope follows two siblings, Emerald and OJ, played by Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya, respectively, who run Hollywood's only black-owned horse training ranch, and they discover something wonderful and sinister in the skies above, while the owner of an adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomenon. Early on, the trailers for this movie, which, let me tell you, first off, is written, directed, and produced by the, the wonderfully talented Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame. You may have seen the sketch show on Comedy Central here in the UK. I'm not too sure if it's on the same channel in the US, but I see a lot of the sketches normally on Facebook when they when they pop up in reels and stuff like that. Have you seen much of Key and Peele, Dan? Uh, a little bit. It wasn't really my cup of tea, though, but I'm a massive horror fan, so I loved it when he started doing the, well, horror movies. Yeah, so he's he's had some pretty pretty big hits already for a very young filmmaker, film writer, director, producer, actor, you know, entrepreneur that he is. Um, Get Out, which people may have heard of, which also starred the same star of this film, Daniel Kaluuya, and the movie Us, which I've not seen either of those actually, but I know they're, they're both meant to be very popular. This is sort of the an unofficial trilogy, even though the movies aren't actually linked in any way, shape, or form, are they? There's just people just seem to call it a bit of an unofficial horror trilogy because they were all kind of similar yeah, horror movies. Kind of similar in theme, you know, taking ideas and just running with them as far as they can. They don't really think much about the implications outside of the movies. Uh, they always remind me of Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Yeah, they've got like a there's a, a plot. And it sticks to that and it goes with what if and bang, there's your 90 minutes, there's your, your yeah, 45 exactly. minutes. Like the, the second one was kind of about doppelgangers living underground. And really, you know, if you thought of it outside of the story, it just fell apart. But within the story, you know, it's uh, it's horror movies trying to say something about the world. Yeah, and I would say that very much. that That's the tone of this one as well, which is fair. The early trailers pointed at this being a straight-up horror film, but with something paranormal, supernatural going on in the background. And we got some glimpses of what may have been Aliens Little Greys, but nothing was confirmed until eventually one of the international trailers broke and there was a huge flying saucer coming across the desert. Very quick, but it looked cool chasing them in broad daylight which that stood out to me i think that was one of my early early comments to you oh, it's like it's daytime this isn't a horror movie just all filmed at night where something scary is coming in the dark you see this thing a lot 
during the day and when we get to it and this will be filled with spoilers folks some people did ask for like a non-spoiler <laughs> review it's um, pretty so, hard to talk about this without spoilers right yeah so so at the minute let's say it's still non-spoilery so you can still listen to this first part um but the the climax of the film takes place during the day so again that's that you, you you see quite a lot um Sometimes in movies, especially when it's meant to be horror or have a lot of tension, thinking back to like Cloverfield, for example, I think the movie falls down a bit when you start, or movies can fall down a bit when you see the big bad guy or the big reveal. The movie Signs, I love, but the CGI is a bit ropey on the, the alien when you see the alien and maybe yeah. we would have been better not seeing as much a little goofy that kind of flash at the the birthday party on the you know the home camcorder that's the bit that works best you know it's, there for it's a second grainy. you yeah. don't see it clearly it's just there um but we'll get to that when we talk about the ending as well but it's, it's that kind of film it's got an 83 percent fresh score on rotten tomatoes or tomatoes depending on where you are and where you're <laughs> um and that that's pretty good uh audience score 68 percent, which is average um the film was made for $68 million. That was the budget and has grossed $130 million. So it's doubled that, which is which is pretty good. Um, normally, I think you have to, to make double your budget back to kind of be breaking even, given marketing, advertising. Yeah, that's right. All that kind of stuff as well. So it, it's still going as well. And no doubt it'll make some money when it comes out on streaming platforms and stuff too. So I think looking at reviews and opinions of critics, it's it's been somewhat of a success um, especially for a film tackling the UFO subject in a slightly different way to what we're used to, probably outside of very low-budget Z-list films where UFOs are the, the protagonist or the antagonist, you know. Um, it's, it tries to do it in a different way. So what we're going to do is just basically essentially plod through the film, what happens, and then there are some discussion points we've got noted down that we'll bring up as we go along as well, because there are a few uh, themes within this to do with UFOs, obviously, that were pretty interesting uh, and worth a chat. So at this point, if you are looking for no more spoilers, it's time to tap out and come back to us when you have uh, finished we, watching the movie. B- before we go into spoilers, should we just kind of give our, our out of 10? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many saucers? Are we going with saucers? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I've got noted down. You're starting okay. to get my pattern, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, actually, sorry, not saucers. I've given it 10 horses out of 10. Oh, I was going to say jellyfish then, but that might be a <laughs> slight spoiler. But yeah, um, you're going 10 out of 10? Uh, yes, I am. Did you say 10 out of 10 when we spoke privately? Or have you uh, upped that score? So I think I think it was a little lower, but it's just sat really well with me okay. since I saw it. You know, the, the first viewing... I had I've got, had a chance to watch it again and kind of with my expectations in check I absolutely adore it. Okay, so on one viewing I think I said to you after I saw it eight and a half out of ten, eight out of ten. I think I'll stick to eight and a half. I, I don't think yet I could push it to a nine. Maybe watching back with some understanding of some of the themes we'll talk about here. But yeah, for for me it's definitely worth watching if you're listening to this and it's still in a movie theater or cinema near you do try and go and see it in the cinema um especially if you can get imax you know that kind of uh, enhanced yeah, that audio was well enhanced picture i never got a chance to see that it was a normal cinema for me but yeah please go and see it in the cinema if you can and i like people when you get a chance to support cinemas too because i'm a big movie goer big fan of that kind of experience um, otherwise watch it however you can but definitely recommend it but into spoiler territory then dan um yeah early in the film introduction of the we, we see some power cuts noises stopping some things around and i think if you've got any 
incline into the UFO subject, early on, I think you get the idea that Jordan Peele has either done his research fantastically well into the UFO subject in a lot of different nuances, or he's just a fan of the topic anyway. Because I think he gets a lot of stuff right, or at least tries to get a lot of the stuff right. So again, whenever the the, the UFO, as as we find out early on, um, is around, you get the the quiet, the birds stop chirping, everything goes silent, the wind stops moving, and there's just a tension which is built. And I think that's captured really, really well within the film. That it's like when you hear that kind of shriek of a violin, or the predators' music plays, or you know the aliens about to arrive. You know the UFO, which is basically a bad guy that it's, it's the antagonist in this film um you know what's around and i think that's captured really well from early in the film yeah yeah i mean i i'd argue that the ufo is probably not the antagonist in the movie uh it, it's certainly the thing that sets off the the kind of chain of events but it very much paints a picture of humans being an antagonist to nature and it's our expectations that kind of you know, mess with with situations. Um, you know, they use Gordy the monkey in the film, the chimp, really well to to kind of exemplify that fact. And and then how how the film is kind of split with people's expectations of what the saucer is and what it turns out to be, um, I, I think reflects that too. Okay, before we get to the monkey, and we'll talk about that because that was one thing I wasn't too sure of, and you explained what you felt that was at the end. Uh, after I'd seen it and a few people I know had got in touch saying that had confused them too um, we're introduced to a character is it Angel or Angel? Um, Angel. Yeah, who works in a tech store, pretty geeky as a you know, bit of a UFO subject fan, I think you're atypical, stereotypical UFO guy Yeah, um, he, he, he presents involved. He, he has a great moment doesn't he where he kind of presents like a whole bunch of theories whilst talking about the Navy UAP videos yes. which was really cool to see yeah again that was pretty early on wasn't it he talks about them changing UFO to UAP uh, talks about the Navy clips and he's like yeah. he's probably had the conversation that many of us have had to have at some point in the last couple of years with friends or family or work colleagues um, and, and yeah it's it throws a lot of information out there to be fair I would have liked a little bit more of that throughout the film, maybe in some way, shape or form. But I, I thought it was a nice nod to if you're an up to date fan of the subject, if you're a, a social media follower on any of the platforms and discuss UFOs, you know, whether it's Twitter, Reddit, you know, Instagram and such, Facebook, then I think you'll have appreciated. Oh, yeah. Navy, Navy clips. OK, cool. Um, I wonder. That this kind of came into my head at the time, and I don't know if it was something they said in the film or not. But looking at the UFO to UAP, it seems to be going back to UFO, even within the language we're seeing in some of these bills that are coming out, because there are so many acronyms now. You know, we had UAP, and people were like USOs, and then UAP. There was what was the other one? Unidentified. Uh, so it was uh, unidentified aerial slash undersea phenomena. Yeah. And it started getting a little bit hectic. And at the end of the day, every one of them is UFO. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, and I think people are almost more comfortable, again, using that language that it's been creeping into the mainstream, the UFO, UAP subject, that UFO is losing a little bit of that stigma, slowly. Um, and yeah, that, that was interesting for me. Um, Angel says he's an ancient aliens fan. So Ancient Aliens got some advertising on there. I imagine <laughs> this is something Jordan Peele, again, either watches or 
used for research for this film too. And Angel even says, you know, Ancient Aliens, you should watch that. So it got a nice plug. Uh, and there was a small part of me hoping, I wonder if you'll say listen to, to that UFO podcast. <laughs> um, but no, no, alas, no. Disappointed Dan never got any stickers out there for them to stick on stuff or, yeah, or, or well, got to the location when it was being shot. We'll get some to uh, Jordan Peele's agent and hopefully we'll see them pop up in the background of the movie like one of the, you know, the band t-shirts that he loves including. Yes, yeah, you never know. But I thought there was a lot of nice nods early on in the film. I thought the premise was set up well. They they essentially don't need the... They see the UFO... Well, he sees glimpses, doesn't he, of it behind the clouds. Again, we've got daytime. Um, He's heard... He sees it at nighttime too. He sees the lights in the distance, which grows bigger and he sort of gets chased by the UFO... And it's a, I, I do think the UFO is like is the bad guy, but it's very much treat like a wild animal, isn't it, Dan? And that's yeah. It's, maybe it's like it's not the UFO's fault that it's chasing people and hunting people and ultimately eating slash killing people. It's just what a wild biological entity does when it's threatened or unsure or uncertain or or potentially frightened. That's the way it's treat. Um. Yeah, absolutely. OJ even says at some point, you know, someone says you can't go out into the the fields because, you know, the the UFO is there, it's going to come get you. And he makes the point of, well, you know, you go inside then, I've got mouths to feed. And that's exactly the same point as the UFO. It's just they're feeding, they're, they're in what it thinks is its territory, right? Yeah. So it's just very we neutral. Talked about, we talked about prey and imagine the predator uses the jungle and the trees to hide and they are still having to, to hunt, they're still having to go forage for food, forage for shelter, but they're aware something is out there looking for them. And the UFO is using the clouds as its trees, and it's dancing back and forward in the sky and hiding behind hills, and that's their jungle. So they're looking at this expanse of desert where it's no man's land for them, and they're they're very exposed to what this is. I did like the touch, and again, this is one of those kind of more out-there theories that people... Do UFOs use clouds to mask or hide where they may be, especially during the daytime? And essentially that is ripped right out of the that kind of UFO 101 book because the UFO is hiding itself behind a cloud or you are manifesting itself as a cloud, isn't it? Because yeah. they, they find this one cloud hasn't moved for five months and he sees that, that on video. <laughs> you, you see the sky, the blue sky, you see all the white clouds moving in the background and this one cloud has just sat still and they realise... It's there. It's literally right in front of us the whole time. Yeah, and and there's been some kind of theories put out that it's actually some form of aquatic creature, and it kind of living in the the moisture of the clouds is where it kind of you know can can recharge, so to speak. Uh, that that was definitely the vibe I got. You know, the whole film kind of plays like an upside down Jaws to me. It's coming from the sky instead of the sea, and you know the cars and the house and everything like that are the boats to kind of stay safe in. Be, being a bit more of a loose bonus show this stand. Let- speculate on that where do you sit with ufos right now being up there in the sky during the day and using cloud cover most people would say they would just use some sort of stealth or invisibility or yeah stealth camouflage um you you know we we don't know if they need to recharge or anything like that so it's potentially that you know that they can use clouds as cover uh certainly one of my early sightings uh, i was in a car park and i saw a light kind of go from one cloud to another cloud so, you know, I don't know what that is, but it was one of my earliest experiences with UFOs to, to kind of see it hide in the cloud, so to speak. Pretty much you use anything as cover, right? <laughs> if it works, it works. Yeah. Um, they try to get proof of that, don't they, as well, uh, on video. They essentially try to film, or they've got it, and they're talking about 
um, Oprah. They used the Oprah Winfrey show. The Oprah ads. Shop. That's yeah, that's it. Yeah, what and I've got the note down. What is Oprah proof? And probably quite relevant given the Calvin stuffs came out since we've seen this, and that's that's come a topic of debate for a couple of years now. We've heard about the infamous black triangle coming out of the water photo slash video, the twenty three minute video and whatnot that is pure sci fi, all that kind of stuff, and and what these um representatives and congressmen and women are are seeing within these these classified briefings what is oprah proof what what could you put on oprah on a big mainstream show that it was nine o'clock tonight dan the world has to tune in because live on oprah we are going to show you what really could be proper conclusive proof of a non-human intelligence what what would that have to be for you now and also let me just give you a little nod to the phenomenology stuff and i've i've openly always said orbs lights in the sky or something i can struggle with in terms of um how i see that as evidence the context behind it being you were there you're looking to see it as there as a real phenomena and it's worthy of further study so could people, you or others, go and do that, however that may be or how it's involved or is it setting up 24-7 surveillance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that for was... you now sits as, as actual, legitimate, that's the proof. We, we touched on this in the breakdown, and I don't think there's necessarily anything that would show beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's something real. Even if we had a gray alien come out and shake Biden's hand on television, uh, it still wouldn't be enough for some people. So releasing that Columbia footage from phenomenology, you know, that that was a bit of a lesson in that because we filmed these lights on a mountain, you know, the, they'd split off into these tiny little kind of orbs, people would call them. We had people from the town that would say that they're UFOs or spirits. And, you know, it was quite a cool video, the way that they kind of form a triangle and change color to red. And a lot of people kind of say, you know, that's not, that's not proof of anything. Of course, we were presenting it in a kind of way to get support for further study whereas in this film they're you know they're not really looking for that support they're looking to get the shot and the fame for themselves so a little bit different in terms of goals but i would say by the end of the movie they're 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 successful in kind of defining what it is that they've been struggling to capture and one, one of the things i really loved that they had to do was because of the way that the the they call it a jean jacket in the film so i'll just use that going forward uh considering that jean jacket messes you know it has an a electric killing field they had to use kind of hand cranked cameras and things like that to, mm-hmm. to film it and it just made me think of skinwalker and all of the phenomena with the uh, instantaneous sensor disassembly and things like that yep you I would argue you definitely need multiple vantage points on the same phenomenon. Otherwise people just won't, uh, you know, take it seriously. And also multiple witnesses as well. You know, basically no longer single source is just not enough. I think. What if, do you think does size matter is a, probably a, an appropriate statement, but in this case, what if we got a video of something, but again, like a Phoenix Knight, Phoenix Nights, Phoenix Nights, great program for anyone in the UK who's seen that. Uh, Phoenix Lights type event, but we see size of a craft because I think we're at the point now where anything that is 40, 50 feet or below, including a tic tac, is passed off as potentially man made. It's a drone, it's advanced technology. But if we got something on camera through the Navy with witnesses and such that you're looking at four, five, six hundred thousand feet in size. 
would that change the conversation? Because all of a sudden, you've not got a thousand foot sized drone, not even having to get to the football field sized, you know. And I just wonder if that would change people's minds a little bit more that, you know, that, that saucer shaped flare could be anything but yeah it was this size and you can see that on on a camera i wonder if that would make the difference potentially but then you'd still get people bringing up the dirigibles argument you know the the giant ufos seem to be kind of quite slow uh we, we don't see those kind of instantaneous turns and and speeding off and things like that so yeah potentially even even something like that some people would kind of naysay about it so they, this is where we are with it now you know you you got to kind of take what you can gather and, and move forward and, you know, essentially ignore the skeptics. We we need to accept yes for an answer here. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they've truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. People, people, will, some people will pick up on ignore the skeptics, but well, the debunkers. Let me just say that, like, skeptics is fine. I would argue yeah. that in a lot of ways, you and I are skeptics. You know, we always work oh, through yeah. the data. We're yeah. quick to, you know, not be like it's definitely aliens. Um, you know, we look at all the different possibilities. Uh, yeah, when when I say skeptics, sorry, I meant I meant debunkers, the people that start with the idea that it's not yeah. a thing and stick to that. But yeah, debunking is fine as well because we've done that. We've done it recently, not to go into detail, but the the idea of going out to deliberately debunk everything, no matter what you have to disregard in terms of data, and I think that's something Gary Nolan said on on Twitter recently as well. That there are there are people that are deliberately ignoring data that isn't. It might have been Eric Weinstein actually. That data that isn't relevant and just cherry picking certain aspects of data to do with a case, an event, or whatever it may be, and going with yeah. But if I just look at this, then I can totally negate it being anything anomalous because that could be this. But I've got to ignore X, Y, and Z, which are actually totally relevant in, in the case as well. So yeah, it, it's it's got a lot of moving parts. It, it came up in your conversation with uh, Rizran Verk uh, in your talk about simulation hypothesis. He brought up the idea that uh, how long it took humans to become accustomed to the idea of meteors, of space rocks. Mm. And that because a lot of scientists just didn't think that there were rocks you know, up there floating about, whenever one was presented to them they were just like well that can't possibly be from space and they wouldn't even entertain the notion whereas now obviously you know people think pick these things up in their back garden you know it's a it's a foregone conclusion it took us a while to get there but 
along the way, a lot of scientists, uh, you know, uh, ignored the ignored the data. Hundred percent. Something I missed out on before was when they were setting up the surveillance equipment around the property. The the mantis on the camera blocks I the like view, <laughs> and is it one of those little synchronicities, or you know, they're, they're trying to get a good picture, and it just happens to be a bug lands on the camera, and of like, is it basically obstructs the view that they have of the UFO potentially For the whole time. But I said to you, didn't I, that ah, do you think it was a praying mantis deliberately because people talk about mantis type creatures or entities or beings being something they've encountered, especially on like abductions or or, or kind of experiences like those. Um, and yeah, you you sort of agreed with me, didn't you? That that's not just by by chance. They've put that in there as a nice little nod to yeah, definitely. And and as well, it kind of touches on the idea of, and we'll talk about it with regard to the shoe, no doubt, soon um, at the beginning, the stood up shoe that. You know, there there are such a things as bad miracles. They're kind of coincidental timing, weird things that don't really add up to much good for anybody. So, you know, it's a miracle that it happened, but it's not particularly great. So it kind of just sits in this place where it's just frustrating. You, you, you end up kind of thinking, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. So we, we get the tagline at that point uh, from OJ of what if it's not a ship? So we've seen there is a metallic disc in the sky. And for anyone and not, well versed in the subject or are not that into it potentially if you're just a member of the public going along to see the film you're going along to see a flying saucer but the notion is then introduced as we've sort of alluded to it's it's something else and we find out it's it's eventually it's alive and it's a living organism it's it's biological um that's beastie yes and we'll i'll come back to that because at that point it looks like the the ufo is surveilling the the town to the village and we find out why but i wonder if looking at how we are now that nasa's got involved in the subject and what if disclosure goes down the route of for at some time in the very near future we get an announcement that the james webb has picked up signs of life out there or for whatever reason nasa's study finds going back to historical footage that we have objects coming from deep space to our planet and president biden and all these other chancellors and and and, uh, premiers of other countries get on board together on tv and say we don't think we have aliens visiting but we think we're being surveyed or under surveillance by another intelligence and that's that's the acknowledgement and at that point, it's a case of we are going to have to to launch a major study into what it might be. How do we catch some of these things, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder if that's a kind of the next step in, in disclosure where there's an acknowledgement we're under some sort of surveillance, but we're not sure by who or, or, or from where. I wondered how how would that change the conversation? Because people like us get podcasts on this and people have blogs and tweet and all that kind of stuff. And I've actually got down here, how would that be monetized by the wider world? Because I'm thinking then, do you get every celebrity all of a sudden with a podcast, a blog, every TV show becomes about UFOs? Do you think that's how the conversation would be picked up on? Or would it still say, even even with that kind of acknowledgement, would it still stay in the realms of, of science? Well, we we already kind of have seen, and there was a really cool bit in this film actually, where they kind of I, I felt like it was a positive nod towards the the outlet that's actually covering this TMZ. Um, you know, we're already seeing an attempt to kind of 
monetize in, in the tabloids here. But as well as that, we've seen people like Demi Lovato go out and film their own TV series about trying to engage this phenomena. If they had viable locations where they could go and just sit and film these things, and we knew that you know they they were definitely surveilling us and stuff like that, I, I think we'd end up with 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 a lot of. I guess there would be a spectrum of reactions. You know, we we know the Skinwalker Ranch is weird, but not everybody else is running out there to to film mm-hmm. something from the edge. But some people do. You know, that's it, it's that's kind a of become example. a mecca, right? So use, using that. Do you think, and maybe monetization is the wrong word, but the way it's then reported on and picked up on, so do you think all of a sudden somewhere like Skinwalker Ranch becomes a huge hotspot for people from all over the world to be out there reporting, trying to spend time, like like a Roswell would have been back in the day if it happened now? Do yeah, you think yeah, absolutely. That, that may happen? I, I mean, we, we had the uh, Storm Area 51 event, right? I, I think yeah. that speaks volumes about the question people kind of made an event around a place that had a myth around it uh, to do with aliens and they all went out and celebrated and you know no doubt there were people watching the sky and things like that there too so yeah absolutely i I think it goes from the realm of something wishy-washy to something that you can suddenly form a business around and people like you know the the late steve Irwin would come running to try and kind of crack this thing because they're all about looking at mysteries in nature i wonder how far we are away from something like that happening you know yeah, you say Steve Urban, obviously no longer with us, but David Attenborough, his shows suddenly yeah. switched to to really looking from a nature perspective at what is visiting us and where it could be from. Your Brian Coxes and who have already done shows about what may be out there in terms of you know small microbial life and things like that. Again, did those switch? So yeah, I just thought that was interesting talking about your Oprah proof and if we are being surveyed or surveilled by another species, which is a hypothesis that is discussed. How, how would that change things without us getting the saucer or, you know, bodies or even contact for, for still some time later? So, yeah, that was just a thought that came out it, of my head. It's funny it. as well to think about the idea of that, of Jean Jacket in the movie surveilling them, because that was really their expectation that, you know, there were these creatures in the saucer that were taking the horses and doing stuff to them. Even, even Jupe at one point um, tries to kind of train it in a show and he just thinks that the horses are being taken up to be studied. At no point does he think that they're being eaten by a creature. And it, it just speaks to that, again, subverting expectations, which is why I think the film was all about. I, I really love that it will take, you know, for someone like my my mom, who isn't into this subject at all, she's probably never heard the idea that these things could be creatures. Mm. So she now gets to watch that and kind of go, huh, that's a different way to think about it. I wonder what other possibilities are there. I don't know if you mentioned Jean Jacket, who produces or tries to film and capture these with that older equipment, usually makes nature documentaries and captures wild animals in their habitat, and that's why they, they get him on board, like you say. But you also mentioned earlier about Gordy the chimp. Yes. And there's a, a running theme through the film where you see clips of Gordy being on a kind of 70s, 80s TV show, one of those kind of typical sitcoms, you know, canned laughter audience all that kind of stuff and we see that something really bad has happened where you can kind of instantly realize that gordy has went a bit crazy and attacked people on set and one of the kids who becomes a ranch owner that you'll see if you watch the film um he's hiding under a table you see the chimp basically destroying and mashing someone's face in off camera but you can see it kind of happening you see their feet um, and you see the fist going up and down and I wasn't sure at the end of this what those clips were trying to put across, other than in the background, there's a like a ballet shoe or a shoe, which is standing up on end, 
as if gravity isn't quite working at that one point and something's affecting it because it shouldn't be able to balance the way it is. But I asked you when I came out, I was like, I didn't quite get why the chimp, other than it being affected by something, and you made the comment. I'll let you explain it, actually, because some people have asked about what the, the Gordy stuff was. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it took me in hindsight to kind of click with it as well. Uh, on second viewing, the idea that, I mean, for, for one, Gordy wasn't one chimp. It was several chimps that they were switching out on the TV set. Um, and we know that Jupe as a child was on that show. He was the only person that the chimp didn't attack. In fact, he kind of gave the, the kid a fist bump uh, because the, the kid Almost. threw this kind of weird chain of events actually he was the only person on set to not look the chimp in the eye and therefore mm -hmm. not be seen as a aggressive or a threat yep. and what he was actually looking at was this stood up shoe so in a way the shoe saved him so that brings us back to this idea of bad miracles diana pasalka touches on these things you know they, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily beneficial for everyone but this freak accident of you know chaos happening and this one shoe being stood up managed to save the kid and it's kind of ironic that that kid then grows up and suffers exactly the same fate through doing the same things as the adults on that TV show, which is essentially taking an animal out of its natural habitat, putting expectations on it that it can perform a certain way and very human expectations as well. Mm -hmm. And then expecting that to go well, uh, you, you know, we're, we're always kind of setting up spectacle and expecting it to go a certain way. And it's one of those examples that shows us that that nature kind of does its own thing. It's only that it's allowing us to to interact with it, that everything feels safe. And then that's reflected throughout the film with, you know, they have shots of kind of, you know, snakes kind of taking their prey and things like that. But I would say that it's reflected in Jean Jacket, the saucer, and the way that Jupe tries to train it. And, you know, it eats a decoy horse and gets very angry. And that's where we yeah. get that whole sequence of it just pouring blood on the house kind of as a, as a, I mean, I can't swear, but, you know, as a little thank you for injuring it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and again, just subverts that expectations. You know, I, I think OJ is the only person to actually respect it as an animal. Mm -hmm. And he might come out unscathed. I, I wouldn't like to say for sure, but he, he certainly knows how to interact with it by the end of yeah. the film. Uh, you see, that middle part of the film is very much the, the UFO attacking, capturing people, um, causing some chaos. And like you say, OJ sort of realises how to deal with this phenomenon and it's treating it like a wild animal, treating it like that 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 chimp. Um, and as the movie kind of wraps up and gets to its climax, there's not many people left in the area that haven't been eaten or taken away by the ufo and they they basically have a plan to to try and ca kill it as such and we won't ruin too many of the details i'd recommend people watch it however this is the point where it's very much confirmed that the object is biological it's not just abducting people it is literally consuming them uh for you know for nutrition and there's a form change towards the end I didn't quite get on board when that happened. I was liking the, the saucer with the biological inside. And it, it changes into a really jellyfish-like, <sighs> papery, you know, one of those like um, ribbons and you get those dancers yeah, who walk on down coy. on the ribbon. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Um, it, it was very wavy and... I, I very, very angelic? Yeah. You know, when people talk about the tubular bell type logo yes. or thing that was seen in skinwalker ranch was it colm keller who saw that that's right uh sorry um oh i forget his name now 
Someone's going to be yelling at the, the screen Lekatsky? right now. No. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, Lekatsky. Yeah, was when Lekatsky? he was at the ranch. Yeah, he saw it over someone's shoulder in, in the kitchen of, of the main place at Skinwalker Ranch. But, but yeah. <clears throat> so there was a weird sort of figure, and it, it, it becomes this almost like kind of strange, angelic type being um, while it attacks them. I didn't. I appreciate it though that they really tried something else and go look at what this may be. This is it's not human. It's something totally different, and it's not what you're expecting. The the greys that we see in the trailer that you expect to see in the film earlier on in the movie turn out to be kids dressed up playing a prank. So That's I right. like I like they kind of give you that swerve that ah it's not little grey aliens running about. It's a biological creature, and here's what it is, and that'll blow some minds of some and, of the audiences those those kids as well the suits that they were in they were sent by dupe who had the experience with gordy when he was younger and i i thought that the aliens kind of looked whilst they looked owly they also kind of look quite chimp like it when you go back yeah. and watch it and it speaks to the trauma that you know he picked up from gordy and that other experience that he was trying to capture yeah while they're doing the the kind of end sequence and they're trying to capture the ufo with this elaborate setup we also see the difficulties of capturing a ufo video with you know things turning off electrical equipment failing we but they use that to their advantage as well they have jean jacket with his older crank handle cameras but then they have to change the film which is obviously a, a point where the UFO moves and they're like, quick, change the film. I, and I really appreciated it. that they captured that. I used to work in films and whenever you deal with film, you've got to put it in a tent where you can't look into it. Otherwise, if there's any light goes in, it ruins the film. So you have to do it blind just through gloves in this kind of tent that's blacked out. And, and they took the time to kind of capture that. You could see Angel's uh, frustration with there at one point. And I was like, yeah, yeah they got you, that You feel accurate. that frustration because you're like, yeah, I want you to film it. I want you to film it. And ultimately he has to sacrifice himself to keep filming as well doesn't he and well so i i would say that he he doesn't have to at all that that's one of the moments he, in this yeah, film where to. it's kind of a racial statement that the the white man is stood on the shoulder of the minority is trying to get the credit again he he just kind of he's after this one perfect shot that he keeps talking about the whole film and then he realizes basically that he can go and stand in front of Jean Jacket. It'll consume him and suck him up and he'll have, you know, the greatest legacy known in Hollywood, basically. And there's a whole racial undertone to the film and you'll see that from from the beginning, um, which is really well done. And But that's I'm not going to comment on racial stuff. I don't it, know enough about people's hardships and whatnot. I, I think it, it kind of all leans into the idea that we all judge each other as caricatures before we judge each other as humans. Yeah. And that, that extends to the animals as well. You know, go, uh, Jordan Peele loves animals and they kind of, when you interact with them, sometimes you get this existential reflection, you know, when you see a dog that seems a bit more switched on than than you expect dogs to be, you know, they're quite smart and you kind of think, wow, did we just communicate? But they're almost a way to to reflect on, you know, what it means to be human. And they're a, a real reminder of how we tend to treat things that we don't think of as human as well, including each other. At the end, we get somewhat of a happy ending, as expected, the the saucer being is tricked into consuming something which then destroys it dan at the end though uh, kiki palmer is left over at emerald the sister and she's she's a character who has a little arc which you come to i think really like her by the end of it i did anyway she's a bit obnoxious at the start she's got great swagger <laughs> yeah she's very different to, to oj they're all very different people through in the film the characters but it's very small cast it it seems like one of those covid films again small cast in the middle of nowhere so yeah had had its issues in filming like many films coming out now did um 
but I, I liked her quite a lot by the end of it. Her character has like a redemption arc. But um, OJ seems to sacrifice himself as well. But in the, the closing scenes, you see OJ triumphantly on a horse and, and it, just outside a gate. But it says you, uh, out yonder, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, but you you got the feeling that he might not be alive and this was just a bit of a, a, a hero shot at the end, whereas I thought it was more of a, no, he was alive and he managed to get away. Yeah, and, and again, it's one of those things that, you know, earlier I said when you speak, think of these stories in Jordan Peele's films carrying on afterwards, they're kind of loosey-goosey. You can interpret a lot in them and they don't necessarily always show you on the face of it what it's about. But the second time I watched the movie, you know, you don't you don't see him. He he makes the gesture that, you know, he's gonna watch this, uh, he's gonna watch Jean Jacket to kind of get it to come near him because Jean Jacket sees it as aggression and kind of takes on anyone that looks at it. Um but then uh Emerald M, you, you know, take takes the kind of looks at it and it chases her. And we have this great moment where she does this cool Akira bike slide into the town and yeah. then yeah releases this giant person balloon that it thinks it's looking at it and it kind of consumes it and yeah the the whole film i mean it kicks off with that great little story about edward mybridge and the bet that he made to prove that a horse's feet will all come off the ground at one time um so they the story goes that they set up a whole bunch of uh photography cameras along a racetrack with some uh triggers and as the horse run past it would take photos and when they put those photos in order we essentially had one of the first moving pictures the first movies but no one knows the jockey's name and that's a true fact in life you know no one knows what that jockey was called uh but it was a black jockey and we all talk about the, the achievement of the white guy who figured out how to make movies but never the person that was actually in the picture and it's a running theme for him throughout the film that she wants people to know her family name because she was related to the person that was on that horse. Mm -hmm. So when we get to the end and you know, we get this nice kind of just shot of her crying, looking as all the reporters are coming in and she finally has that proof of the, you know, the pictures and probably all those reporters filmed what went on from another angle as well. She, she then looks out, like you say, and sees, you know, OJ on a horse kind of looking all heroic and things like that. But the second time I watched it, I really got the sense that he might not be there anymore. That actually this was her upset, the, uh, the fact that this, this bit of spectacle to capture, to get her Oprah moment actually has ended up costing her everything. And whether it's worth it or not, is kind of the point of the film, right? It's, it's, but she's made him proud. Like it, he would have been proud exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah. That's certainly the way that it's painted, isn't it? Like that they they achieve what they set out to do, and the world is going to know their name, whether they're both there or not. You know, the film ends there. I think I said to you what I would have liked to have seen during the credits would have been small intersplicing of uh, Emerald on Oprah and other shows as she gives them and shows the evidence. I thought that would have been cool if they could have got some clips like that in. Yeah, um, the reactions would have been cool. But I guess by that point, a lot of other footage would be coming in through the you know the media that was arriving just as but then, uh, then she there's had an, that an assumption that the media caught that. And you know, I, I talked with Riz and other people about the idea that what if what if they saw nothing? Yeah. And she's got this proof. Or that could have been the clips where she goes on these shows and they're like, but the media coming in, they they saw the explosions, but there was nothing in the sky. And they never saw or never had that same experience because of where they were, proximity, all that kind of stuff. Or again, it was no, nah, the, the, the the angle of the sun actually stopped the cameras picking anything up, all that kind of stuff, because she has to, her proof 
it's quite clever. It's in the well, isn't it? And it's a picture yeah, where right. you're all looking a well, and you you put in like a penny or a, a dollar or a dime, whatever it is, and you take a picture. But the picture comes from underneath, looking up, and that's how she manages to finally capture. Which I thought that was very very clever. Um, a way yeah. to do it, and you, the the pictures come out, and you can see something. But it would be a case of if the cameras never picked that up, and there was no testimony other than hers, the the picture proof is probably no good. Yeah, she she ends up just being another person on television, insisting that this stuff exists and being ignored. Right? Uh, it, it really reminded me of I know you said jellyfish, but kind of there's a creature known as a stenophore, and there's a really cool video online where you can, and it comes up quite often in conversations about aliens and you know being in our oceans. That it kind of holds a shape as it's drifting through the ocean, um, and then it comes across basically the submersible that's filming it, and it gets caught up in the fans. But before it does that, it changes shape into this like crazy flowing creature that that you know yeah. reminded me of this of jean jacket in this movie basically so ultimately dan you said this is a 10 out of 10 film it's been well received it's been heralded as quite a brave attempt at approaching the ufo subject especially in hollywood in a serious way in a big budget um and a horror horror genre as well it was definitely successful um would you like to see... Uh, do you know what? Actually, we're, we're going to see this followed up on in the very near future with Monsters in California. And I, I can see that having some very similar tones and themes potentially within it. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. And and Monsters of California is it's likely to be a lot more... It's going to be using humour a lot more than yeah. this film did. But From this film had yeah. its humorous moments, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I especially love when the aliens were coming towards OJ and it was the kids dressed as the aliens and he just kind of says, nope, and just backs off. <laughs> yeah. You know, it definitely even even the people that will pull their phones out get to a point where they're just like, nope, I'm out of here. So Dan, what would you say to people who, listening to this, haven't seen Nope? It's maybe coming out of cinemas um, and it's due to be on streaming and they're still not sure. What What are your selling points on it? I would say that it's just it's it's a UFO movie that subverts your expectations and it's really clever in the way that it does so. It's one of the first UFO films for me that by the end of it, like you said, it sheds light on it. Everything's in the daytime. They actually capture a picture of it. You understand that it's a creature by the end. It actually defines the phenomena by the end of it. But I wonder I wonder how many people would, you know, once once say, for example, the media caught it and everyone believed her and saw the photos. I wonder how many people would have stories that said, you know, that isn't what took me. That isn't, that's something mm. different again. And so, you know, ufology lives on to fight another day. But it, it was really provocative in, in the things that it made me think about. And I especially loved in IMAX, kind of my eyes were darting all over the screen, looking mm -hmm. around in the sky to kind of try and capture, catch something. And it was really cool that the, the opening shot of the house at night has just a triangle of lights over the top of it, which I thought has surely has to be uh, intentional. Um, and, and there was another really cool idea that the UAP means universal apex predator. I, I enjoyed that. I will just say, I think it's on its own. It's a good movie. And if I had gone to that not being a fan of the UFO subject, I think I'd come away saying, yeah, do you know what? That was decent. I like that. And I think if you are you listening to this, you are a fan of the UFO subject, I would imagine. Um, you you will like this movie. It's got enough nods in it. Um, and do you know what? Whether you like it or didn't like it or what your thoughts, stick them in the comments below. Um, that would be appreciated. Or drop us an email, drop us a message on social media. That would be very much appreciated. Um, our next sort of review type show that comes out will be our regular documentary review. And it's the Dorothy Isaac documentary, Dan, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going to be looking at Dorothy Isaac and seeing seeing what we think of the case. Really, uh, I, I hear that the book goes a lot more in depth, so I'm going to try and have a, a you know a gander through that and hopefully bring some more information in. But yeah, let, let's let's see what Dorothy's story is all about. Yeah, and this has gone up early for people on Patreon, Apple, YouTube, everywhere else, um, probably a good week or so before anyone else got it. So thank you very much for supporting. Appreciate that. And if and when it's come out on the free feeds, thank you for listening. Very much appreciated. And Dan, thank you. Thank you. Uh, as always, the, the only thing I'm sad about is that we couldn't do this in a cinema whilst watching it together. We do, we do annoy all the other punters, right? Would I be sad about that? Nope. <laughs> nope.